I'm Gabriela Fresquez, and this is Radar 2021. If you grew up with immigrant parents like I did, you're probably familiar with the pressure of assimilating to American culture. A tricky ask during our already awkward teen years. My Mexican mom might have forbade me from attending slumber parties, but Tres Leches Cake and Pan Dulce on birthdays more than made up for it. Sugar's a solid parental bargaining chip. And while fitting in is often as much about survival as it is about wanting community, recent studies show that cultural assimilation in the U.S. is becoming foreign. I am Mexican-American. I love my Mexican roots. I got that instilled in my blood. Tio Caltiche, stand up. I'm definitely bicultural. Both of my parents are from Colombia. I was born and raised here in the U.S. And it's influenced me in the sense that I love listening to Spanish music because it uplifts me. I've been able to teach people in the U.S. about Mexican culture, food, history, traveling. But I'm also very American, and I'm proud of that, too. The USA taught me how to break a lot of our generational curses, how to work hard. Biculturalism has been a part of my life since I can remember. I was born in Guaymas, Sonora, Mexico, grew up in Michigan and other places in the United States, and I love storytelling in both languages. One thing that is very American about me is my taste in food. I love hamburgers, pizza, hot dogs, and I will take that any day over any soup because Hispanic people love drinking soup. In a stark contrast to previous generations, more and more younger Latinxes are reclaiming what it means to be bicultural by unapologetically embracing their Latinidad in all forms. Assimilation was kind of a mainstream um, sociological concept that just assumed that, you know, new immigrants that came to this country should pretty much shed their own culture and adopt American ways almost immediately. And I think that that's deeply troubling for Latinos, especially those who are Chicanos, Mexican-Americans that have been here for generations. In the Jim Crow era, when there was segregation, you know, signs would say, no Negroes, no Mexicans, no dogs. We need to acknowledge the shared history that we have with Black Americans and how it is in some ways being carried out by the state. The criminal justice system is one of the most dangerous instruments, including ICE, that where profiling, racial profiling can lead to overt violence. One thing about, you know, racism in America that affects so many minoritized populations is when many of us come here, we're kind of collapsed into one group. And so all the beautiful things that it means to be a Salvadorian or Cuban-American or Mexican-American um, or Guatemalan become mixed into this thing called Latino, Latina, Latinx. What it is to be Latino in America is not uniform. And while everyone's experience is different, many Latinx people in the U.S. have been criticized for not assimilating. We've all seen the viral videos of the Karens and Kyles ripping into someone for speaking Spanish. Illegal money. Oh, yeah, I don't care. Not drug money. Why do you hate us? Because we're Mexicans? We're honest people right here. <laughs> Still, others have been criticized by fellow Latinxes for assimilating too much, a.k.a. being too gringa. What? Why is everybody looking at me? The phrase, ni de aquí, ni de allá, sums up this paradox for many Latinxes, especially if you're binational, sometimes called 200 percenters. It was really through watching my father, a black man from Cuba, carve a space for himself in a country that was so anti his existence. That really gave me the courage to carve a space for myself. 
my dad saw the difficulties that he perceived in my life, not only experiencing the world as a mixed Black child, but um, further on as a mixed Black queer child and a mixed Black trans woman. It caused my father to, um, you know, not teach me Spanish out of what I would understand as a trauma response. Sage, thank you so much for sharing that. I relate to your story in the sense that my family also assimilated. My family immigrated from Mexico and I was raised in an English-speaking household in a very Americanized family. My tias would tell me these horrible stories about getting jumped every week and all of the violence that they that they had to endure um, as immigrants, as Mexicans. And so it made sense to me that my father, my mother, and their siblings raised me and my cousins to be as American as possible because any any parent wants to protect their children, but it actually um, created a different kind of trauma for me because there's an inherent disconnect between me and my, my bloodline. My story is a little bit different. We came here when I was 10. For me, assimilation was kind of weird because I was trying to relate myself to the white kids in the neighborhoods and how to how can I communicate with them properly and you know have their lifestyle and it really wasn't until college that I realized I do not fit these boxes and I actually tried to put an effort in researching Dominican history Dominican queer and black history and how do I fit in there like because I felt a disconnection with my community I used to think to myself, can I be a Cuban woman if I'm a trans woman, if I'm a queer woman, if I don't speak Spanish? And the truth is yes, because that is where I come from. That is what my history is. That is who my family is. And I am the embodiment of a Cuban woman that exists at the intersections of my identity. Thank you both for sharing these incredible stories. And I absolutely agree about the intersections of our identities. We're not one-dimensional people. And it's important to embrace all of your identity. For most U.S. Latinxes, biculturalism is key to understanding how we see ourselves. And while part of this reclamation of Latinidad is embracing Spanish in its purest form, another is adopting a version most bicultural kids are familiar with, Spanglish. So Yvonne, since you're bilingual, I've always wondered, in what language do you dream? What do you mean? I dream in, in what language do I dream? I mean, I think it's in English, pero también puede ser en español, yo no sé. And then she left the place mid-show because she found it too ba ban banal? 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 What the heck is banal? I don't know. Sorry, I can't make it. I have an appointment. Has two piece? Let me Google that. Uh, oh yeah, I have an appointment at the ophthalmologist. Is that even a word? Oh, that's PH. Oh, interesting. At the ophthalmologist. Don't believe that. Mami, estoy terminando la receta que me enviaste, pero me hace falta, um, eh, ¿cómo es que se dice? El orange, eh, eh, carrot. Ay, pero míralo, si no sabe inglés, se le olvidó el español. <risa> Ay, mami, déjame, ¿cómo es que se dice? Zanahoria, mijo, zanahoria. Zanahoria, that's right. Please bring me one of that. Sí, bueno, me puede dar un combo número dos con papá agrandada y refresco de dieta que tú ordenas. Oh, what? Sorry, you were speaking too fast and I was like, whoa! 
Oh, sorry. I meant what are you going to order? Hero Papitas. Spanglish is so ubiquitous among Latinxes that some have adopted it not only as an expression of identity, but as an artistic choice. Spanish has always been a part of my life. And English is also a part of my life. I have a line that I think in English, but my tongue is stressed in Spanish. I'm always missing a word for something in the language. So once I started publishing my work, I made a conscious decision to always include Spanish so that no one can ever divide my languages from each other. And also that kind of almost like a bat signal for people who have similar stories to me. I always understood that El Salvador was home and LA was our second home. Growing up here, like all of my mom's siblings were here in the late early, early 90s. We all lived in one building. I grew up very immersed in my culture and in understanding that I fully belong to two places. I use words um, that are particular to El Salvador. I'm in the business of reminding people of, of their humanity because I think the world takes that from us so much. And so what best way than in the same words that our parents loved us. My mom is Dominican and my dad is Mexican. I grew up listening to a lot of like reggaeton and Latin jazz and, and like merengue, just like playing in the background and bachata. And so those were the sounds that were just like basically like the soundtrack of my childhood. Most songs, if not all, that I've been writing recently have all been in Spanglish. So I've definitely been more mindful of just wanting to write more in Spanish because um, I'm around a lot of English speaking people. So not many people around me um, are fluently speaking Spanish constantly. Like, So I have made it my mission to actively improve my Spanish. And the best way for me to do that is to write music in Spanish. I want to represent the Latin community in a way where like I prove to people that we don't have to have a specific sound. I was told many times in the past that I wasn't able to like reach a broader audience. It feels so good to be able to just accomplish things that other people wouldn't even imagine possible. What we eat is another fundamental way Latinxes express cultural identity. And honoring traditional recipes and techniques is one of the most visible ways we connect to our roots here in the U.S. I've been running a food blog titled Chicano Eats since 2016. And last year, my very first cookbook, Chicano Eats, Recipes from My Mexican-American Kitchen, was published. I spend a good chunk of the book diving into traditional recipes. Then I also spend half of the book diving into what I call Chicano Eats and infusing the traditional with non-traditional for things like my my cilantro smash burgers, which is taking that really American concept and infusing cilantro in really fresh and bright spices. I have my dulce de leche choco flan. I have a champurrado chocolate sheet cake. It was really important for me to call it Chicano Eats because I never really felt like I was either, you know, like full Mexican or like full American because I spoke Spanish. Once I really became comfortable with myself is when I was like, I'm, I'm Chicano, you know, I'm part of both. Another way of capturing the nuance of our identity is in what we wear. And while dads, why have it a hand-me-downs are great, there's been an increase in Latinx-owned clothing companies capitalizing on all of our favorite culturally specific nostalgic references. I wanted to create a brand that honestly encouraged women to necessarily like not have to give up their Latinidad to exist in these spaces here in this country. And I think that it's important for 
Viva la bonita to show like, yeah, we speak Spanglish, but we also, we can sit here and listen to an entire Tigres del Norte album and know how to sing every single lyric. Yeah, when we show up to places like our Spanish might not be the best, but I think that we respect where we come from um, and we want to nurture that as much as possible. Our biculturalism is also expressed in how we exercise our freedoms here in the U.S. to advocate for people in our home countries. Recently, Cuban citizens on the island took to the streets to protest the government amid food shortages and rampant COVID infections. And Cuban Americans here in the U.S. were quick to offer support. I basically realized very early on that people didn't really know um, anything about Cuba <laughs> in the way that that I knew about Cuba and I say that in a very paradoxical way because I actually didn't go to Cuba until I was in my 30s so how do you then tell the story of a place that you've never been but that you feel fully a part of for me I realized that I needed to actually go when I go to Cuba yeah there's joy but there's a lot of sadness on July 11th of, of this year, Cuban people hit the streets. They they went out in mass uh, to protest against the government. They were calling out for libertad, for liberty. They were protesting in a way that hadn't been seen, at least by the world, ever, probably, but definitely since the 90s. The role of the diaspora is massive at this particular moment in time. It's almost as if the voice of the Cuban people and the voice of the diaspora are gaining its strength at the same time because for a long time Cubans in the diaspora have been told you're not Cuban, you can't speak to this. So now, however, the diaspora has a voice because they've grown up with freedom. And we actually have, we are in a position that we are able to speak about our truths and our history and we're connected and I think this is the crucial thing to the people on the island. It is our responsibility to amplify that voice. It's the least that we can do from a position of freedom is speak to the truth that is trying to be silenced again over there. Our experiences around language, music, food and politics all influence what it means to be bicultural. But individual stories are probably the best way to really understand how all of these things interconnect. My father is Jamaican, my mom is Afro-Latina. Growing up, I kind of leaned a little bit more towards my Jamaican side only because at that time there wasn't like a boom of Afro-Latinos. If I walked around saying, oh yeah, I'm Mexican too, people were like, yeah, okay, whatever. There was a bigger misconception back then that if you were of a mixed race or mixed culture that you had to look a certain way, you had to be light skin or your hair had to be a certain curl pattern. I would say middle school is when I embraced more of the Mexican versus just being solely Jamaican. Especially within like the last like five years, I feel like the Afro-Latino community has been so welcoming. For so long, I feel like women and men like myself are kind of like shut out of that Latinx culture that we have. No one's denying the fact that we're black. Like we are black people and we're proud of that. It's just, we're also embracing that other side of us. And now it's like, we're accepted. So I am a comedian and writer and, you know, my career really took off and I feel like actually began a few years ago when I started creating videos on the internet for people like me. In no español. 100% American, but also 100% Latino. And I felt like there wasn't really a niche for that at that moment. 
um, I came from the comedy world where sort of just being called Connor and being from Connecticut was the norm. And I saw myself hiding the complexities of my identity. But then I started making content online about my very specific experience as a Venezuelan American. But the first time I did put myself in front of the camera was with Joanna Rance. So today I'm going to show you how to identify different countries' accents. Pero bueno, pues, ¿qué es eso, chamo? Yo me llamo Joanna. Me gusta el yogur. And it went viral. It got like a million views in a day. And I was shocked to see uh, the positive reactions, not only from Venezuelans, but from people from everywhere. And that's when I realized that identity isn't something to hide. It's actually a strength in creating content and creating comedy. I understand I'm white passing. I understand that I, you know, was born with a set of privileges in this that make it easier for me in this country. And I'm not blind to it. Um, simultaneously, I, I feel very much Venezuelan and I feel like that's who I am and that's how I grew up. For the millions of undocumented Latinx people here in the U.S., embracing biculturalism gets a bit more complicated because nothing is simple when the threat of deportation is ever present. And for DACA recipients who grew up here, celebrating Latinx identity often comes with the burden of dismantling prejudice. I am from Caracas, Venezuela, where I was born and I lived in the United States for the past almost 21 years. And I still hold on very much so to the traditions and culture and food uh, stories, you know, uh, from my culture passed down. Unfortunately, due to my immigration status, I have not been able to return to Venezuela. Uh, I do consider myself bicultural uh, in a variety of different ways. I've grown up in the United States and consider myself an, uh Venezuelan-American. Uh, and even though I'm lacking that piece of paper, I think uh, it's incumbent on me to continue to represent both cultures uh, since these are two countries that have seen me growing up into the person that I am today. Some people view multiculturalism as a threat to the American way of life. But not everybody who thinks this way is wielding Walmart tiki torches out in the streets. Microaggression is everywhere which is probably why some bicultural folks feel the need to hide certain parts of their identity in certain spaces, also known as code switching. Many of us are bicultural, but I think in some ways it's because we are reacting to moving in white spaces that we can't in some ways be natural to the loving family that raised us and be authentically who we are in an office setting for fear of stigma. And so sociologists call that code switching, where you're like in one setting, you talk one way, and in one setting, you talk another way. And guess what? It's exhausting. We're often code switching and doing so much extra work because of the racial stigma that comes with the label of being Latino in America. Another reality many Latinx people know well, serving as acting translator for family members. Hi, Mrs. Armstrong. This is my dad. <laughs> Hi, Dad. How are you? Okay, I can tell already uh, there's going to be a bit of a language barrier. So if uh, Mario doesn't mind, he could uh, you could serve as interpreter because you're a Cubanito. Okay, yeah, I could do that because I, I know both. I know English and I know Spanish. Your son has been doing excellent. Little bit of trouble in math. Mm, dice que la la hago super bien. Oye, 
Which is why I, I want to uh, meet with parents because we're approaching, okay, midterms. Dice que ahora va a haber un test de término medio. ¿Qué es eso, chico? That reflects their overall grade in, in my class. Y que um, es importante porque es mucho grados para el término de medio. Yeah. I don't think I said everything you said. No entiendo ni papa lo que tú. However, Mario might he might be gifted. Gifted. Really? Yeah. Okay. What? Dice que ella cree que yo soy un regalo. Muy un regalo. He says what do you mean? He he will stay in my class because I I teach gifted. Ella dice que ella cree que yo soy un regalito para ella. No está tan rarita. Muy un regalo. I don't think he likes it. Oh, vean yeah. eso. Que se cree la tigueta. No, no, no. Okay, I think we're Nos done. Nos okay. vamos ahora mismo. Vamos, let's go. As more Latinx millennials become parents, we're finding ways for our bicultural children to connect with our history and culture in ways we might have missed out on. I also have a children's book that's uh, being published next year, and it's about my grandfather and how I learned about my family's history while I learned to bake bread. He taught me how to bake bread. Baking bread is about waiting, so you hear all those stories in the waiting. There's also, I think, a great comfort in knowing the truth about your story. Today, there's no denying that bicultural Latinxes are influencing politics, entertainment, and culture on a massive scale. You need look no further than the hysteria over bad bunny tickets in the U.S. to see that. Dude made Croc school. Respect. And while many of us were raised by immigrants that saw assimilation as key to survival, millennials and Gen Zers are reclaiming our roots and acknowledging the value of being authentically who we are in all our binational, bicultural, 200%er glory. I'm Gabriela Fresquez for Radar 2021.